Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. Preachers. Over the past few episodes, we've taken on some weightier subjects, politics, tensions over race, etc. Of course, last episode, we treated you to some lighter fare, religious undertones in a beloved movie franchise, Star Wars. And tonight, we're going to delve into an, another equally fluffy topic, which we are calling Thanksgiving Potpourri. As tensions continue to rise over transfer of power into our government, underlying issues of racial inequality are ratcheting up yet again, we now head into a much more family-free holiday season which means I can't think of a, a superb intro for this episode. So I'm gonna use my time here to address another topic, and that is everyone's unfathomable snobbishness towards my drink selections. Check that. If you can't, you can't really be snobbish if your side of the argument is that my drinks are too complicated or complex that you'd rather I just crack open a Coors Light. The banquet beer. Do you even know why they call it that? because the word banquet implies there's a large group of people attending an event who will be drinking. So what better way to spend the least amount of money than giving them Coors Light to wash down their rubber chicken and lukewarm vegetable medley? Or perhaps everybody would be happy if I just drank Miller High Life each episode. The champagne of beers, doesn't that sound classy? Of course, champagne does describe Miller High Life to a T. I have to give you that. Just like a champagne, you should drink it infrequently, but when you do drink it, it usually leads to an exceedingly terrible decision-making. That's right, you heard me, Tina. Maybe you shouldn't have bombed eight flutes of the bubbly at your best friend's wedding. Perhaps doing your own rendition of Don't Stop Believin' during the first dance, only to drunkenly finish said rendition with an ode to your ex-boyfriend before passing out and hitting your head on the corner of the table, necessitating a visit from the paramedics, culminating in the ruination of the aforementioned best friend's wedding, isn't such a great idea. Look, what I'm trying to say is, for a podcast that is trying to elevate discourse at the intersection of culture and theology, I struggle with this underlying hostility towards a more refined cocktail. The minute I mention a simple syrup, half our audience and two thirds of the hosts of this show, I may add, lose their collective minds. I mean, which part is tripping you up? Was it adding sugar and water to a saucepan or the part where you bring it to a boil? You have Gabe quoting Immanuel Kant and Nietzsche, but you don't get any text screaming for more chicken soup for the soul. The three of us work hard to bring nuanced takes on complicated issues to our discussion, to what we believed was a highly educated and discerning audience. I guess it never occurred to me that a cocktail that was more involved than figuring out which to put in first, the rum or the Coke, was a bridge too far. I'd shudder to think of the responses we'll get when I tell you that tonight my family had spaghetti and I decided to saute up some peppers and onions to add to the prego sauce, along with just an extra pinch of oregano to give it that extra flavor. Move over Gordon Ramsay. So excuse my somewhat churlish nature tonight. I'm done apologizing for having a refined palate when it comes to the libations I enjoy. So to move away from the norm, I'm gonna launch right into what we are drinking. What am I having? I'm so glad you asked. I'm drinking a Palenque. The base alcohol is a mezcal, which is similar to tequila, but with a pronounced smokiness, which comes from distilling down and fermenting in agave mash in underground pits. You can't buy cheap mezcal, I'll let you know that. So prices start about $25 for a $7.50, but you can get a pretty decent bottle for $35. Anyway, a palenque is two parts mezcal, one part pineapple shrub, which I made by pureeing pineapple, 
a uh, little bit of apple cider vinegar, adding some sugar and then boiling it down to a thick syrup. Add another kind of simple syrup, preferably made with cane sugar, and top it with a lemon lime, lemon lime ginger beer. Now, I know what you're thinking, that lemon lime ginger beer isn't regularly available at your local liquor store. I got you covered, don't worry. An easy way to do this at home is to pour a little bit of 7-Up over the top and then a bit of ginger beer. You could also achieve the same effect by throwing some lemon or lime peel into that drink. Garnish with a dried pineapple slice and you have yourself a really great cocktail that plays well on a warm summer day or due to the smokiness fits right in on a cold winter night. So there you have it. We can now move on to Thanksgiving potpourri. Sorry, sorry, that might be too complicated. How can I put this in a more Coors-like kind of way? Um, I know, turkey time and smelly things. Does that work? Gabe, Josh, what are you simpletons drinking? I mean, we're at the end of the episode already. So Good if Lord. you want to comment on Tom's 90-minute monologue, text Holy us at 612-208-6258. I mean, literally, I almost fell asleep. I done fell out. Literally, as soon as you mentioned my best friend's wedding, all I started thinking about was Julia Roberts movies. <laughs> so, like, I I don't... That's all right. You would have you would have freaked out over the fact that I had more than two ingredients in my drink. So, and I'm pretty sure a pineapple brush or a pineapple scrub or whatever you said that's yeah. that's made up. That's not real. Well, it is, but you know, but th but this is my thing. Like you, I've heard you guys rail against like the you know. Oh, I heard this basic sermon on you know like it it needed to be more complicated for you to appreciate it. Josh, at the end of your kitchen table, you have a big counter there. I've been in your house. What do you have on that big counter? Uh, it's like 17 different coffee making oh, apparatus. It is, it is the coffee bar. That is true. Yeah, because you can't just drink black coffee, right? You well, need Tom, to welcome to our life because guess what happened? We all fell asleep and our eyes glazed over while you were talking, just like every sermon we've ever preached. <laughs> so you win. You win. I know okay? what it's like. You, Thank you. know what win, it's like. Tom. Thank you. You win. And oh I gosh. wait, Gabe, can I just jump in? Because my drink Do could it. not be more appropriate to what just happened over the last seven yeah. minutes. Yeah. Um, Coors Light. Say Coors Light, please. No. Oh. <laughs> no. Listen, there there might only be one beer I've literally ever poured down a toilet, and it was Coors Light. I'm not kidding. Someone tried to give me a Coors Light. I excused myself to use a restroom and I just straight up poured it into the toilet. So and the toilet wouldn't have known the difference. No. And I didn't because I didn't <laughs> want to drink it. It was well below my standards. But what I am drinking tonight. So Sweetwater Brewing Company out of Atlanta. It's a local favorite. Hot Lana, please. Hot Lana. Yeah. Go on. OK. Thank you. Yeah, um, just the correction. Just want to be sure we're reference. factually accurate. Yep. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, anyway, they've got this 420 strain. They do some experimental beers. And the reason why I want to share this one tonight, and it could not be more apropos, is that it is the Trainwreck Hazy Double IPA. And that intro was an absolute Trainwreck. Train and no. I make no, no I am not going to. Uh, uh, listen, I will apologize in advance to you, all of our listeners. This episode is guaranteed <laughs> to be an absolute train wreck. And I will say, I'm slightly disappointed because uh, we have someone who will be sharing their drink here in a little bit who actually has a, a, hazy, a hazy IPA. Does that look hazy to anyone on this call? No. no. Do no. not call that a hazy IPA when I can still see through it. Yeah, yeah. Train wreck. Well, train wreck. Talk about a train wreck. Here's the deal. This episode will not be a train wreck because we are graced with um, one of my colleagues 
the Right Reverend uh, Marcus J. Lane, uh, who uh, I get to work with at uh, ULC. And, uh, and so he's going to be joining us for this podcast. So Marcus, uh, well, I'll just say what I'm drinking. I'm drinking all day IPA because I'm a simple man, Tom. All right, judge me. Okay, that's fine. I am. Fine. I am. Absolutely. Oh, you, mean you don't have mezcal that's been fermenting in a pit somewhere yeah. in Mexico, Gabe, no. mixed in your drink? No, I'm just a guy who wow. drinks a beer. You know, just a, I mean, I'm your every man. I'm your every man. Just every man. Uh, but man. enough about me. Marcus, you're here. Thanks for joining us, man. I'm here. Yeah, I'm here. And uh, I will say, shout out Founders All Day. That's like, that's a Michigan staple. It's a staple right for there. us. You can't, here you can't knock that. Yeah. Um, and as Josh said, I am drinking a very hazy IPA. Like you guys can see that on camera. That looks like orange juice. It's a smoothie, um, man. You've got a straight up milkshake. Um, and so this is this is called, I think appropriately for the times that we're in, it's called We're In This Together uh, from Big Lake Brewing in Holland, Michigan. Um, and they've been like, I think my favorite Michigan microbrew here in the West last, side, baby. last couple months. So very, very with the ex With the explosion of, of microbrews, is there any state now that can really call like like this is our thing. We're really good at this. You know, like Colorado used to kind of own that. Yeah, That's I, I feel I like think people you are trying anymore. to come up on this like less than 100 calorie IPA thing, and that is just, just a stop. damnable just offense. Stop. Yes, just stop. <laughs> no, but I think Tom actually, for once in his life, makes a good point. Like I make good points all the time. Do you? Uh, but <laughs> like the. Uh, like I, it used to be, you're right. Like it was like, Oh, Colorado, they got all these microbreweries, craft breweries or like Washington has all these craft breweries, whatever. And I just feel like everywhere has craft breweries. Wait, whoa, 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 wait, Colorado yes, and you Washington? Say California, I'm just going to, we are the home of the IPA revolution stone. Oh yeah. Just like you're the I... home of dairy. I like, come on, just get over yourself. Yeah. California, no, that... just make your movies and keep us happy. All uh, right. Do you want like... almonds? Do you want apricots? Okay, do you want uh, the fruit of the apricot? womb? What's an of the apricot? Central Valley? An, an apricot. apricot. Are you kidding me? An apricot? An, an apricot? I have an apricot. <laughs> yeah, I oh, love apricots. Right. Okay, you know what? I'm done with you too. Okay, so right. we Tom, have to say, I, Tom, I will also let you know that New Year's Eve 2019, I made Gabe an old-fashioned from scratch, homemade simple it, syrup and all, and yeah. he loved it. Of course he like, did. So, of course so, he did. Yeah. So no, no hate here on your complex drink. Marcus, Let's have Marcus, Marcus on no. more often. Wow. Marcus, Marcus before, often. Hey, before you give Tom too much credit, Tom and Gabe, may I take us down a walk on memory lane when Tom's apparently overly refined palate didn't know that he was drinking <laughs> crown that I found on the side of the road. He, he yeah. actually was like, Oh, this is a pretty good, this is pretty good whiskey. And it was a half bottle of crown that I found at a construction site on the side of the road. I put it in a fancy decanter and Tom was none the wiser. So let's just leave it there. I still piss blood once a week. Yes. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, that was amazing. Trying right, to be hey, polite. So it is uh, Thanksgiving time, friends. And so I think it's time for a little something we're going to call Thanksgiving hot takes. Before we get to our potpourri, let's do a quick round. Thanksgiving hot takes. Who wants to go first? First of all, I think we need to stop referring to it as Thanksgiving. And instead, it's the uh, First Nations Genocide Day. Okay, Gabe, yeah, okay. can we just get there? All Thank right. you. And now <laughs> that I put that Thank out there. the woke police is and here. Yep. Good Lord. Whoop, 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 whoop. 
Um, but now that I've got that out there, there is something that I was very disheartened to discover. I mean, they had a meal together at least once. It had to have happened. I mean, right. it doesn't mean well, that this... we didn't commit genocide like right afterwards, like instead of doing the dishes, but like Charlie Brown would never lie to me. That well, so okay, okay. Anyway, um, I was very disheartened because recently I came across a BuzzFeed article that listed the top like holiday delights per state. And I was going through, you know, from Alabama all the way to Wyoming. I was just very curious until I hit the state in which I now reside, Tennessee, only to discover that our holiday delight is the sausage ball. And I've never felt more ashamed. So normally I would be pooping all over green bean casserole. And I would be saying that by and large, just Thanksgiving is, is, is just gross. However, Tennessee, we've got to do better than the sausage ball. I don't even know so what's in you, it. Here's the thing. Like, what distinguishes a sausage ball from a meatball? Like, I've never seen one. I've never had one. Right. I a don't meatball know what a is just made of meat, is. and it's, you know, served with pasta, okay, in a yeah. red sauce. Or by right? themselves. Or, yeah, I mean, but there's usually, like, some kind of sauce that accompanies it, right? Okay. Yeah. But a but sausage ball. it doesn't have ball, to include pasta. It, okay. If yeah, You're right. You're absolutely right. Sweet, okay. Swedish keto, meatball. keto meat, meatballs on their own are phenomenal. We're not hating on meatballs. I just need to need to clarify here. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. We're not Marcus hating on meatballs. Marcus does have a woman at our church that brings him meatballs regularly. Wait, are this you serious? This is not a joke. This, this is, is not a joke. Oh, yeah. Okay, and then then let me make my, my own position clear. I am not hating on meatballs either. I actually make a, a, a very damn good meatball, okay? Marcus, as a matter oh, of fact- now we got to put the E on this episode, Josh. Well- For explicit content- Debatable, debatable. Your I'm, gonna, I'm going okay, to, I'm going to go send on. Marcus some meatballs and he's going to just taste them. Gladly. Them. Yep. Gladly. All right. Um, anyway, right, so on, sausage, sausage ball, ball though is like this weird concoction of ground breakfast sausage with, I don't even know what carbohydrate it's mixed with. It could be cornbread mix. It could be biscuit mix. It could be pancake mix for all I know. Sounds and delicious. It, <laughs> I know. I'm like liking every. Is it a chorizo maybe? So okay. You know what? I'm not even going to explain this because you guys can't understand the depths of the nastiness known as a basket or Ziploc gallon bag full of sausage balls at your kid's class party <laughs> or your most recent employee holiday gathering. All right. I'm done. I'm about done with this all episode. All right. All right. Already. So, all right. That's Josh's Thanksgiving hot take. He hates sausage balls. Uh, what else we got? Well, we'll go with Minnesota here, uh, which I know as soon as I say the thing, Josh will immediately dismiss it, even though he's never had it, um, mm -hmm. even though the three of us have probably had it and it's delicious. But we're going to talk about Lefsa, uh, Norwegian. Oh, I love Lefsa. Who doesn't love Lefsa? Yeah. Um, little butter, little sugar. I don't know. Are you a yep. cinnamon or brown sugar type of, type of person? Or? Butter and sugar straight up. That's Wait, all I what want. What is a Lefsa? Is that a pancake? No, it is a very, very thin... Uh, it's not, it looks like a tortilla, but it's not, it's made out of potato flour. And so you put butter and sugar on it. You roll it up, eat about 17 of those. I would eat yeah, that. That like sounds eating. delicious. It is delicious. I just so why, assume. Why would the, you assume I would poop on that? I like that. Because every single you poop, poop on everything been, Midwestern, Josh. Yeah, there hasn't been a single thing that you've hasn't like stuck your nose up at. Why do you hate my culture so much? Yeah. So I'm a native Minnesotan. And what had Lefsa once? What literally one time? Like, did you live in Minnesota for a minute or no? I, my entire life, like 
from birth to age 18 and i where had did it you, once where did you my family's up? not my family's not norwegian that's i think that's kind yeah, of I don't the big think, thing neither is mine it's just that's what's at the grocery yeah. store I, the only the only time i ever had it was with people who was one time i had a friend in middle school whose family was super norwegian and they were all about it that's it yeah. that's the only with time. lingon with lingonberries and ikea meatballs <laughs> is that where your meatball journey began marcus was with like ikea meatballs <laughs> <Not> IKEA. <laughs> Uh, no, but that's where it ended. <laughs> they, Actually, they perfected so it. do you remember that thing where like uh, Ikea, like people find out they put like horse meat in the meatballs and it was like a thing? No. No? Okay, well, that was a thing. So, I mean, it doesn't well, surprise me. I would Hilariously, today during dinner at my house, we were, we play this <laughs> game called favorites where we'll just like pick a topic and you say like whatever your favorite thing is in that topic. And so it was like, for whatever reason was what's your favorite meat. And we asked my two-year-old son, Levi, what's your favorite meat? And without missing <laughs> a beat, he goes, horse meat. <laughs> it was the funniest thing in the whole world. Uh, Marcus, you got a Thanksgiving hot take. Hold on, side note. Um, don't you just hate when you start that favorite game, but then it goes on for like 45 oh, minutes. Oh gosh, and then you're like, yes. okay, we've had enough. We don't need to pick another favorite. And the categories get weird, like yeah. meat. What's your favorite? Like, that's a weird category. Yeah. Um, all right, Marcus, hot so take. So my, my Thanksgiving hot take is I, I find Thanksgiving foods, some of them are repulsive. Many of them are just, actually all of them are wildly overrated. Oh, you take that back. Um, all of them. All, I mean, like if we had if we had an American holiday dedicated to the eating of of tacos, like I'm in, I'm in. But a Dude, it's called a, Cinco de Mayo. Josh, you want to chime in on that one too? <laughs> I am not taking the bait on any of our quote unquote um, holidays. Like, but like a a day dedicated to to eating bland, starchy foods, like. I, I'm out. Let me paint a, me like, paint a picture for you, Marcus. I'm out. Jello with fruit mixed in. Underneath it, whipped cream. Underneath the whipped cream uh, is pretzels that have been formed into a crust. Wait. So you get we, that delicious, salty, here? sweet is, combination. Is there, yeah. is there anything that that we all hate more than people who pronounce a WH as a whip? Instead of just whipped. A whipped, like whipped cream instead of whipped. Oh, a hundred percent did that on purpose. Have you ever seen like, there's like a whole family guy thing about that where yes. he'll be like, it's Brian saying this through. It's like, say, cool, cool. Say whip, whip, say cool, whip, cool, whip. <laughs> no, but like, there's some people it's who legit will pronounce that WH is like a, oh yeah, it's whip. terrible. And it's, it's why? terrible. Why? My growing up, my grandma pronounced wash, wash, wash. Oh yeah. yeah that's good. So that's my grandma. Wait a that's second. good Midwest. Yeah. Uh, oh. Marcus, I'm with you on like turkey is just turkey. Like it's fine, you know. And if you have to slather it in in gravy for it to be edible, <laughs> how good like is that, it? Like that's like how good is it if it can't really stand on its Clearly, own? you don't have people who know how to properly prepare a turkey. Then I mean, but with none of story. our listeners or our, or our hosts want to know about how to properly prepare a turkey because it might get complicated. So just stick it in the oven and turn it to 425. <laughs> wow. Anyway, moving on. True story. One time Josh and I celebrated a Thanksgiving together and Josh prepared the turkey and it was delicious. Thank you. Do you remember that, Josh? I do remember that. Yeah, it's good. 
Uh, One time, all we had seven a of our collective children have been rocked in that rocker you brought us. That, well, what? six of our seven. Oh man, okay. Yeah, that's the gift that keeps right, on right. giving. We've Man, we, you know what? Now. Maybe this episode shouldn't be Thanksgiving potpourri. It should just be Gabe and Josh take a walk down memory lane. I like that. You know, I like what? It. we I can call too. it Thanks Living. Thanks you know? Living. Yes. <laughs> yes. Have an attitude we'll, of gratitude, folks. We'll make it a B side and put like just an explicit warning. Not like that it's bad. It's just like, seriously, this is going to be terrible. No one wants yeah. to listen to this. Train wreck. Um, your intro. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we've. We've had an extraordinarily long intro. We have talked about food. We've got jello that have multi-layers. We have bland food, less uh, balls. Um, we're going to get into our Thanksgiving potpourri when we get back from break. I, we're going to be talking about several different topics that are, that are weighing on our mind, much like a good Thanksgiving feast would weigh in our tummies. See you on the other side. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to PGP. We're now into uh, the meat of the episode, the Swedish meatball of the episode, if you will. And uh, uh, for our Thanksgiving potpourri, the way it works is each one of us has, <laughs> Josh really loved my Swedish meatball comment, uh, has uh, two, two topics that we get to pick. Uh, and so we're going to go around and we're going to go oldest to youngest. Uh, so Tom, obviously significantly older than the rest of us. And so he yep. will, uh, you're in the 4-0 now, right? I am. This is yeah, this is my big 4-0 year. You're proper old. So, so there's going to be like 20 minutes of dead air between Tom and, <laughs> and everyone. <laughs> um, but uh, you'll get to do your first topic and then we'll just go around. We'll each do one topic and then do round number two. We get five minutes on each topic. When the timer is up, it is time to wrap it up. With all of that said, Tom, the floor is yours. All right. So I only had like we were going to do two topics and I only had one. But then in our intro, I figured out what my second one was. And Josh, what are you doing for Thanksgiving this weekend? Well, first of all, Thanksgiving's on a Thursday. So it's before the weekend. Whatever, man. Um, but I'm. What cooking, are you doing on Thursday? Cooking a traditional meal for my family. Okay. In a normal year, would you have been with family or? Maybe, or just with our family. Okay. So why are you still celebrating it? Why are you picking on me right now? I feel like I'm being bullied into this Thanksgiving. <laughs> just because no, I'm no, at home no. and I'm I'm actually taking a day off. That's why. No, so I'm going to cook and we're going to eat and play games and. No, so. Uh, spoiler alert, uh, we were going to talk about critical race theory tonight, and we decided to push that to our next episode. So get ready, right? Um, and when we start thinking about, about that, and you said something about like, you know, indigenous genocide day, I was like, yeah, okay. So when are we going to stop celebrating Thanksgiving? So ironically, ironically, Thanksgiving, the origins of Thanksgiving was actually with President Lincoln, who proposed a day of Thanksgiving post-Civil mm -hmm. War had nothing to do with the original colonization of the United States. But, but that, does, that doesn't matter, though. Well, right, because the narrative was then shifted to um, 
sort of memorialize the pilgrims in a positive light, uh, even though the history surrounding the original Thanksgiving is far from accurate or truthful. So I would I would be fine actually totally like ditching Thanksgiving Day as a national holiday within the context of the narrative that it's couched. Uh, if we want to have yeah. a day of Thanksgiving for something else, like a harvest day, not in a Yeah, weird... but that'll never happen. So, well, I mean, like... it'll never happen. But, you know, I, yeah. I actually had a conversation with someone today who uh, we were kind of going around the horn doing the usual, you know, it's two days before Thanksgiving. We're going to we're in a Zoom call. So someone's got to ask something polite. And he actually said that last year for Thanksgiving, he took a moment to reflect on the plight of, uh, yeah, the First Nations. Yeah, which is, which which is cool, and that's great, and it, it's interesting to me because even with that history of like it was it was Abraham Lincoln and whatnot, we still associate it with that, and so with like the first Thanksgiving and all this kind of stuff. So like, we got to get rid of it, or do we, or will we? I don't know. Like we've kind of gotten rid of Columbus Day, right? I mean, by so, and large, I would say the majority of the population still does Columbus Day, even with the attempts to really, turn it what into Indigenous is, People's Day. What is Columbus Day? Like, I don't know. It was never really celebrated. It was just like, oh, it's on the calendar. It's this day. Like, nobody really cared. I always like, thought that too. Like, it's like, I never got a day off for it or anything. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was just like, oh, it's have you ever seen a calendar. parade for it or like, no. But I, I guess I wonder, like, obviously, our nation's treatment of First Nations people, it has, is not good. Uh, but, is it like, I feel like there is a legit, I, I, and I don't know, I'm speaking totally from ignorance, but is, isn't there like a legit, like decent relationship that the first pilgrims had with the native Americans? Like, I don't know how long that lasted, et cetera, but like the dudes that settled on Plymouth rock, like, I don't know, did they not share a feast after they made it through a hard winter? That's at least what Charlie Brown taught me. All right. Like I don't think Charles Schultz has a lying bone in his body. So they didn't actually, if you read the, the actual historical accounts, um, the and what are the actual historical accounts? I would that the 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 primary sources that were written by the pilgrims, um, the colonizers at that time actually didn't mention the Native Americans at all. And well, so, so where where does that lore come from then? Like why? Like someone just make it up out of nowhere? I mean, I, feel like uh, I mean, in a sense, yes, right? Because substance to it, so. In, in many ways, uh, when we look at the revision of history, and what I mean by that is we gloss over, we sugarcoat actual historical events to make them more um, palatable. Uh, American, yeah, palatable, you know, a more American pro, American centric, uh, American positive kind of thing um, is that then we had to shift the narrative because within, so, so first of all, there was before what was that 1620 or whatever they mentioned there was a good 30 to 50 years of engagement between the original colonizers of the u.s with um indigenous tribes right um and it wasn't until right around that time that then all of a sudden uh the iroquois i believe it was the iroquois um yeah i think it was the iroquois got ravaged by the the diseases that you know the europeans brought over because their bodies weren't uh, their immune systems weren't accustomed to it right um, and so to kind of gloss over or to make it more palatable, then this narrative was created. It was like, no, it was like this great family feast. And the, the Native Americans helped out these original pilgrims from starving to death, blah, blah, blah. Um, but really, in effect, that didn't happen. And, and 
just to conclude this thought, uh, within 20 years after that, there was actually the Pequot massacre, massacre, uh, in which then these early pilgrim settlers just totally pulled a, 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 a what is it? A bait and switch, a switch and bait, a bait and switch bait and switch and said like, Hey, if you guys convert to Christianity, like we'll be cool. Uh, and so the actual tribal chief of the, of the uh, Pequot did that and then they killed them all anyway. Um, so you can look at the Pequot massacre. So it's, it's just to make things more palatable to sort of abscond from our colonizing past and to make us feel more lovey dovey about what the origins of our, uh, initial colonization were instead of dealing with, the the harsh reality of of what it was that we actually did to the people who had lived here prior to our arrival well i'm cool. super well, glad that i could open us up with this yeah. uh heartwarming tale of thanksgiving it was your Moving fault I, hey listen you just note. opened the door i just walked right in tom i had you sure did yep i guess i like won't I be watching I guess I won't be watching Pocahontas on Thanksgiving like I had originally planned <laughs> yep there's a lot of reasons to not watch that movie um so hey, What's, with, what you got with that cheerful one uh, I want to maintain the really heavy topic thing and uh, I want to talk about soup Gross. and and why it's terrible soup is the worst it is the worst kind of food in the entire world and Josh and I are in agreement on this uh it's rare that even two of us agree on anything um but I'm curious Tom Marcus how do you feel about soup Marcus I'll let you go first so I would say I am pro soup for a limited number of soups. What does that if mean? That like, ma- if that like, makes sense, like, like I'll have it two days in a row and then I'm done. Like, or I, really, I only like two soups. Like I really, I really like a good like tomato bisque. Oh, nasty! Oh, gosh, like, why just you open that? a can- just open a can of With, tomato sauce yeah. and drink it. With, yeah. No, why is he oh, on this on. episode? This is bad. <laughs> really, get out of here, because um, you're done. Like, you're fired. <laughs> with with grilled cheese, like like it's solid. So like I I like a very limited. I I can't say like I am pro all soups. Um, no, I, I will. Like, I do resonate with that because I the only soups that I will indulge in are pho. So that's Vietnamese soups. For yeah. all of you who have not oh, had look how cultured you but, are. Like, but, but, and and but. if you go to like a hibachi restaurant, you know, and they give you that little salad with the ginger dressing, but then they're like, oh, do you want, you know, wonton soup or do you want uh, miso soup? I'll do that. So Asian soups to me are I'm all, ramens. I'm all about that. But everything so, else is pretty much off limits. So you're <laughs> not opposed to solid suspended in liquids. It's just. See, that's actually my struggle. Marcus is the solid suspended in liquid because I'm pro chili. Josh is not pro chili, but I'm very pro chili. I'm, 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 I'm not on chili. chili. Chili is gross. Thank I'm you, Marcus. You know I'm what? Marcus is on every episode from Tom. You're out. Marcus is in. No. So here's the deal. Like it's the solid suspended liquid that is my problem. See, chili is like its own like goulash. Like it's just not an issue. Also, but gross. like whatever. But like, like the thing is, like if I'm eating a soup, I have to like balance like how much of the substance I eat versus the liquid. Cause like, if you don't hit it exactly right, you end up with like this bowl of like urine colored, salty oil water that you have to slurp down. That's lukewarm at the end of it. Like it's disgusting. So, so here, here would be my thing. Like if, if you're eating a soup where neither the solid or liquid can stand on its own, 
like you're 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 eating bad soup. I, I just don't feel like the liquid, I don't want the liquid to stand on its own. Why do I want to drink a like hot liquid that no, isn't coffee? Yes, I, like, yes. I just, people who are like, I drink chicken broth straight. Yeah, that freaks to me, me that out, is, man. It no, literally no. is the worst thing I can imagine doing. That's the no, most disgusting thing Mar in the world. Marcus yes. has to take back that, that assumption there because let's look at like any pasta dish. Pasta on its own does not stand on its own. Browned meat is not good. Tomato, to Josh's point just a minute ago, just tomato sauce, not good. But when you put all three together, delicious. Yeah, I don't like, think that applies for soup. Yeah, personally. I disagree, Tom. I don't want a slippery it does. You just said with you, a weird like, piece if, of rotisserie chicken. The, I'm saying for soup in particular, like oh, it's got to be like like soup in particular. I'm not taking. I'm not taking a stance on all foods soup in particular marcus hates meat all right <laughs> <laughs> no but like for real if you look at pho this is a beauty of pho you've got the crunch right of the herbs um and the bean sprouts you've got the delightfulness of the beef or the chicken or the pork that's in there you've got the broth that you can slurp up with some jalapenos perhaps some sriracha like to me that's why that soup is the only soup that works See, and, and that sounds really say, complicated. Like, I can't believe that you'd like put all those ingredients together and spend time to like eat something like that. Oh, Tom, would you not say? Would you not say that all of those ingredients stand on their own? Hundred percent, I would. See, that's and so that would be that's my soup litmus test. So, like, I like I enjoy. I will say I enjoy like a a good tomato bisque in the winter time. Um, or like if you have not had like Zopa Toscana, um, from, it, from the Olive Garden, <laughs> are they still in business? Uh, that class, do save your Olive Garden hate for somewhere else because I, say, I like, actually do like Olive Garden. Oh, nasty! No, yeah, I'll stand for Olive Garden. Man. Oh, give boy. me those breadsticks, give me that salad all day. Oh, no. Yeah, that's yeah, that, that's that, that is that's really fair. good. That's I'm fair. not, I'm not gonna hate on Olive Garden, but like, no. but like, you know, like a good, a good, like Mediterranean soup i'm i'm in i'm in on on that can because we take, all the all the ingredients are legit on their own can we just take a minute to talk about olive garden interior decorating their chairs they it seems like they have gone out of their way to find chairs and tables from nursing homes across the country and bring them <laughs> to their restaurant <laughs> well which is smart considering the majority of their clientele fair if we're also honest true. you know i can't remember the last time i've eaten inside of an olive garden so I can't, I can't remember, remember the last, last time, time I inside of anywhere. Garden. Yeah. Hashtag COVID. All right. We had a whole bunch of we had a we had a whole bunch of gift cards. So there was a there was a stretch of of the pandemic where there was a lot of Olive Garden takeout in the lane house. All right, friends. We are on to uh, Jay Wood himself, Josh Woodrow. Now he claimed he had no topics, and then all of a sudden said he had four. So Josh, I'm going to insist you do two topics at a time within the five minutes. Excellent. You up for it? Okay. Yes, totally down all for right. it. Do you guys want the serious ones or the sort of not serious well, ones? Well, we just did soup. So can you do so, one probably one? a less serious topic, please? Okay, then here we go. Rapid fire. First of all, speaker view versus gallery view in Zoom meetings. I think speaker view is really creepy because you're only looking at one human being. Gallery view, though, can be distracting because you can catch people doing things that they probably shouldn't be doing on Zoom. And secondly, the use of the term, quote, what is it? Quote, what quote? Is it quote, unquote, or quote, end quote? And do you use that with literal things or metaphorical things? Because I happen to know someone who's a 
peer of mine who will literally will say things quote unquote that actually aren't quote unquote they're very real so, so for example we were doing a round of interviews for a job candidate last night and this individual said well if we choose to bring them back for a quote unquote second interview and there's a cognitive dissonance <laughs> with that because second interviews are a real thing so and that's what they were gonna bring them back to right and more importantly the term is quote end quote not You're, quote wow, unquote. okay it is end quote it's end quote that's a fact no like that, we got like, lots to cover lots cover no, no. That so. First of all, I I, I agree with Marcus and, and and Josh. It should be end quote. I don't think anybody uses it that way, but whatever. But it was funny when my nine year old last summer came up to us and said, "Hey, can we go quote unquote swimming this afternoon?" And he wanted to legit go swimming. Right. And I had to and I had to teach him how to how to use that. You're like. Is that, that an innuendo man. of some kind? Like, yeah, like what do I, I do with that? I yeah. don't know. Uh, and it was funny with my nine-year-old. It's less funny with a interviewee. So I want to talk about Zoom for a second because I do agree with you doing just speaker view. Like anyone who uses Zoom and you put it on speaker view, like you're a monster. Like I, I don't know how you could do like I literally I mean, like, so I, I'm in school, right? And so I have lectures that I attend. I don't even do a lecture where it's one person talking for 45 minutes. I don't do that in speaker view. Like I put it in gallery. I don't care. I can't just stare at this one person the whole time. It's freaky and weird. And, now imagine uh, how we pop, feel on Sundays. Pop quiz right now. Marcus, are you currently in this Zoom call in speaker or gallery view? Um, I'm in gallery. I'm not Gabe. a psychopath. Yeah, I'm in gallery. Tom? Gallery. Okay. All right. Then we're all yeah. in agreement. So I will say the only, there's one form of Zoom call I use speaker view. And it's, I mean, but, and it, this will make sense, I think, is like, so every week I meet with my psychotherapist on Zoom. And I use speaker view because it's two of us. No, that's weird. You should be looking at yourself and them yeah. simultaneously yeah. and Why? of equal size. Be captivated by Why? yourself. Yes. Yep. Why? Yes. Well, so now I have something to talk about in counseling. Yeah. 100%. 100%. <laughs> but more importantly, I want to know where quote unquote came from versus yeah. quote yeah. end quote. So here's where I'll disagree with all you guys. Like there's a different way, like, when you speak, you say unquote, like we speak differently than we write. And so you shouldn't say end quote, like, yes, technically is the quote ending? Yeah. And like, is that what's happening? Yes. But that isn't how we speak. So like saying quote unquote makes sense to me. Like, fine, we're taking it to a vote. Thing and I, you're unquoting it. No, I have made an intentional effort to move to quote end quote. Marcus, are you a quote unquote or quote end quote when speaking? It's end quote. Gabe. I'm unquote. Tom. Yeah, I say unquote. I mean. Okay. Well, we're jury split and we know who's more refined and actually has a gauge and a grasp on the English language. And because that's Marcus those, and I. One of those comes from like, like unquote is like a misspeak. Is that's where that comes from. It's like mispronouncing end quote. Yeah. That's what that is. Well, fine. But like it's become a part of our rhetoric. It's become part of our vernacular. So like, just embrace it. Like, I, like that's how Why? language evolves. Okay, like, fine. Okay, fine. How Besides, does that make language better? 
It doesn't. Does Does it make it worse? Like, should we not say ain't? No. Well, what makes it worse is when we use real literal things within the metaphorical context of quote, end quote. And that's, that's really where my question is. Well, I mean, how often do you say like, like, oh, we're going to do a quote unquote podcast, but we're actually doing a podcast. Yeah, that's dumb. But that's dumb. Like whether you say end quote or unquote, that's dumb to do that. My point is saying like, if it's appropriate to say quote unquote or quote end quote about something, it doesn't like it should, you should say unquote. I think you're actually, you're undermining your own logic here because like you're, you're arguing like, that's just how we talk. So we should just embrace it. Well, quote end quoting things that are real is just how people talk. So embrace it. No, but that's, but like, Embrace that's it. logically inconsistent. Embrace it, Gabe. Like, why? Why like, is just it? Say, Embrace it. Just I'm say saying. I'm saying. That's... I'm saying they're both misuses of of the of the phrase quote end quote. And so, why don't you just do them all the right way? I think everyone should be welcome and very thankful to me that I literally got us onto a topic of using quote end quote. Uh, on this actual podcast, to the point that Tom has officially checked out. All no, I no. see is his bald <laughs> I, head because he he literally laid his forehead down on his desk, and all we see is his lack in, of hair. I am intensely looking up quote versus end quote. Okay, well, at any rate, uh, we're done with this topic, and now it's time uh, for the baby of the group, Marcus Lane, uh, to present us with his first topic. Marcus, the hey, floor, baby. All right. Um, So I did um, serious. Do we want to go serious or I mean, I know the the quote unquote. All right, let's go serious. So um, for those of you who don't know, I um, I work right alongside Gabe Casper as the campus pastor at University Lutheran Chapel in Ann Arbor. You're his slave. Um, And so I I won't. I'm just not going to take that bait. Um, I. Um, but so I, I do a, a, our campus ministry uh, side of things. And, and so one of the sort of natural things that I kind of come across, like in, in conversations with people outside of, uh, you know, just relationships outside of my ministry is uh, the topic of college campuses. Um, and, yes. and sort of this, like, there's this like overwhelming fear of how secular college campuses are. Yes. Um, and so I guess like maybe my question is, is where does this fear come from? Uh, is it legitimate? Um, and or or is it something else? Yeah. Are Dude, we talking I like a legit fear too. of secular college campuses or just that every single college student thinks that they have all be once they arrive on campus, they become this enlightened secularist? So you mean like the the perception of college campuses versus like the students who are on campuses? Correct. So so I guess, I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe there's a little bit of both. But so the thing that I regularly encounter from, from people, whether it's friends I went to seminary with or family members, it's like, okay, you do campus ministry. Like, tell me how bad things are on college campuses. Yep. And I'm like, I don't know. I work with a ton of students who take the gospel very seriously. Yeah. Um, 
I'm not particularly afraid of operating in this environment. Um, and so, yeah. So anyway, that's, that's just kind of the, the thing that I encounter regularly. Um, and, and like, where did, where does this come from and, and why does this intense fear of that every student who goes to a, a secular university is going to end up sort of a non-Christian? Yeah, doesn't, doesn't it stem from like all of our research that says that most people leave their faith when they're, when they head to college out from under their parents' thumb and, you know, it's getting drunk on Saturday night, not getting up for church on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, I guess like, is that narrative actually true first and foremost? And then two, like, why does, if that does happen, why does it happen? Who bears the responsibility for that? Is yeah, it the I fault think, of secular campuses or is it the fault of churches that do a terrible job of discipling young people? Yeah, see, I think like that, that to me is the real, because like statistically, for sure, like plenty of like people leave their faith after they're 18, like 18, leave the family to do whatever you do, go to college. And like, statistically, that's like just like, you can't argue that, like, it's demonstrable that this happens at a pretty high rate. But then to Marx's question, like, and because I get this all the time, like, it's like, what, what, how do you guys handle all the, the secularism that gets shoved down these kids throats? And it's like, they kind of base it off of like, weird, like, Kevin Sorbo movies with like, God's not dead. And it's like, their prof is like, saying God doesn't exist. And like, that just doesn't seem to be the case, at least in my experience, I think Marcus, you as well for our students where it's like, there's not this like outright hostility to Christianity. Like I just have not found that now what they will have is like things that because the world is complex and diverse and we live in a pluralistic society and they're entering into that for the first time, uh, things that will challenge their faith. Sure. But that there's like this sort of intentional antagonistic approach to the Christian faith I've just, we, I, I've not run into that. I, I think Marcus, you'd agree with me. Like we just haven't. And, and so well, I you guys think, work at a pretty big liberal campus, right? Yeah. 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 And so, but, but like, that's the thing. And I think that's part of it is like, it is this, and we talk about this probably too much on this podcast, but I think part of it is this conflation of conservatism and Christianity. And so it's like, does your, does your kid come to university and become not conservative? that's super possible. Um, and, and that like, that's, yeah, definitely an attitude, but like, that is not the same thing as them coming to campus and like walking away from Jesus. Yeah. I, I, I like, I like the question that you asked about like, whose fault is it? Like, you know, like, did the parents not prepare their, did they not instill enough Jesus stuff into, you know, like did, did the pastors that they went to church, where they went to church in high school, not, not prepare them enough to, to, to meet those challenges. I mean, I do think there, it is as simple as sometimes like, I don't have mom waking me up on Sunday morning now at eight in the morning. And I was up until three last night. Like right. it's pretty awesome. Not going like 18 year olds. I mean, let's all be honest. Like church wasn't high on our priorities and of the most awesome things happening. Right. And so to not go and do that, Hey, at the same time, like at the same time, I could point to examples of students who were up until three in the morning 
and still made it to yes, church. I know. And I bet the you the next all, morning, like, I, I mean, bet that's you all like four the, of us were, were, were part of that group, but I would also bet that they're, that we are in the far minority. Well, yeah. I think it's that plus though. So it's this like, so it is that you're right. Like there's the inherent, like I'm 18, I don't make great decisions. Mm-hmm. And so whatever, but then it's also, and my roommate's Muslim and he's super nice. Right. So it's not like no one's indoctrinating them. No one's doing it. It's just like, oh, all of a sudden I'm in a pluralistic environment mm-hmm. and I'm around people that don't believe the same things I believe. And I really care about them. And so it's hard for me to navigate this, you know, and because and, you're 18. Yeah. I yeah, mean, so I like, made amazing decisions when I was 18. I'm sure you <laughs> the did, best Josh. ones for my life. But I think I mean, I think it speaks to like what I would like to see. And we can maybe just end here is like resilient Christians who are able to enter into complexity with sort of a gospel foundation. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Pastor Marcus taking over PGP. Just going to end here. Direct us to when we want to finish talking about this or not. Yeah. All right. Uh, You didn't know what you got yourself into when you invited (laughs) me on. All right, Josh, you are up. Uh, This is your third and fourth topic uh i believe are you doing two again is that right i'm gonna i'm gonna just tease the first one to really get to the meat of the second one and it's quite honestly gabe it is going to be a handoff to you this is going to be a softball i'm talking like beer league it's tuesday night in the middle of summer it's 80 degrees in michigan and you've knocked back probably 18 natty ices and Mm. you're gonna hit a home run on course course lights course lights Uh, not course banquets all right so So this is where I, where I wanted to go, but ultimately I will land when I pass this off to you. Uh, I just bought a Thurible off of eBay because I'm going to start burning some frankincense and myrrh. I, I'm, I'm really into the incense game. And so mm-hmm. although I'd like to ask you where you all stand on the incense game in church, to me the more pressing question, and here literally Gabe is a handoff to you, Prima Nocta. Yes. Uh, Prima Nocta. Uh, so for those who don't know, uh, Prima Nocta is an expression I use quite a bit whenever there's something that I think is generally agreeable or I'm excited about. Uh, it's a fairly interchangeable term for me. I'm sure you're all familiar with it from the movie Braveheart, in which it means the king's right to deflower a bride, king and or nobleman's right to deflower a bride on her wedding night. Uh, so it's a, a terrible thing. I'm certainly against the policy, but the words are really fun to say. So, uh, yeah, so Prima Nocta, what that has to do with incense, I'm not terribly sure, Josh. Was there a connection there or do you want me to make one up? No, no, not at all. But since you made me do two at one time, I wanted to kind of gloss over no, the You the wanted to do two at one time. No, I, I know I did, but more importantly, I wanted just to hand prima nocta off to you thank you because i feel like it's a really important topic that we all need to discuss on this particular episode well so you know the reason i Can say we all it, just be against it and move on well we're all against it but the reason i say the term is actually less to do with braveheart though that is a fantastic movie imo um it's more from uh phyllis's wedding episode from the office where at one point michael in the office in reference to phyllis's wedding goes I'm instituting prima nocta and it's the funniest thing in the entire world to me. And so that's why I like to say it. Gabe has just owned the fact that he is Michael Scott. That is true. In our work environment. 
I know this this is also the podcast that comes back to haunt you 15 years from now when you're running for public office or synod president or something and they're like yeah but this thing that you tweeted or that you said dude there's so do you ever think about that like i think about that like obviously i've not done anything like i don't think super grossly immoral or anything like that or anything illegal but like I'm an idiot. I say dumb things a lot. And I just wonder. It doesn't matter. You say the one thing and like that's it. it out of context, exactly. you know, and you're like, I'm for Prima Nacta. And you're like, and it's just done. And then it blows up. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think about that a lot. That's fine. No, it okay. could be the thing that gets you elected. Well, yeah. you never know. That's so true. It, yeah. Yeah. So the real question then remains thurbles and incense in church, or should we just not bring those back as a thing? I mean, here's the deal. They're cool. And I like the idea of engaging all your senses in worship. Like all that makes sense to me, the tie to the Old Testament, like to the tabernacle and to the temple, uh, like all that's super dope. Honestly, I think the biggest thing is more pragmatically, like it's really hard for asthmatic people to breathe when incense is burning and smoke is floating around a sanctuary. And like, we have a relatively small sanctuary. Uh, and so like, I wouldn't want to do it in our place because there's asthmatic people that would adversely be affected to it and it would disturb their worship more I than get, I think it would help. I get they don't have enough kind of faith. Stuff. I mean, right. Like, and then you end up having to argue nonsense like that, that like this piece of adiaphora, if someone can't conform to it really just doesn't get it. And it's like, 100%. well, you're an idiot. Yeah. They, they don't yeah. have enough faith and therefore they haven't received yeah. healing at the hand right. of Christ. And so it's their fault. Let's just blame I mean, them. yeah. Then you end up becoming like a liturgical snake handler at yep. that point. Like it's just yep. to end up, it's a nonsense argument. But would we all admit that thurible, one, is a cool word. And two, yes. it actually is pretty dope. Like a three chain yes. thing that you're swinging, oh, you know, cool. frankincense and we're like wise man status, right? Would you, would you do that just kind of like on the side while you're preaching, just kind of subconsciously swinging this thing around. Or... Yeah. Right. I take it like the old, you know, the, uh, when the hipster key clip came into being with the carabiner, I just carabiner on that thurible onto my hip. And then as I, I walked like around, it would just like, instead of clinging and clanging with the keys, I just be spreading incense. And you're okay, maybe, maybe some goth dancing. <laughs> now we're talking. Yes. Or maybe you're swinging around on your finger like a like the lifeguard whistle, you know, doing some of that. Or maybe nunchucks. Who needs glow sticks when you've got a thurible? That's all I got to say. I like that. I like that. Uh, well, Josh, this was a terrible topic. Um, you're let's welcome. Yep. I do what I can. You've done it. You've done it. Uh, friends, let's bring it home. We are now in our final topic with our special guest tonight. Um, oh, there's Josh just ended. Um, our special guest tonight. Uh, Reverend Marcus Gerald Lane. Um, Wait, is that what J stands for? Gerald with a J? Show. Really? Oh, no way. Usually you hear it spelled with a G, but Gerald with a J. I do not know any Geralds with a J. Wow, that's Gerald impressive. with a J. Okay. All right. I mean, Gerald often goes to Jerry, which is spelled with a J, but... It's with a J. J-E-R-O-L-D. This is phenomenal. I feel like I we could we should just end right there. Final topic, Marcus's middle name. <laughs> um, bring, all right, bring Marcus, us home, Marcus, bring us home, man. All right, uh, so this is a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. Um, so one of the pastors on staff at ULC is notoriously fashionable. Um, the other is not. The other's name's uh, Gabe. <laughs> 
Um, and, uh, and it also hits home. It's, it's kind of, uh, it's been, uh, um, kind of a, an internet phenomenon for a minute. Uh, and so your thoughts on preachers, pastors, and personal fashion choices, um, and maybe just how much is too much? Knee length t-shirts too much. Dude, was that a direct assault at Marcus? <laughs> Wait, does he really? No, I was. Yes. That was a, no. Oh, I Marcus, I'm so sorry. T-shirt. That was a direct assault against like. I do not wear knee length t-shirts. I mean, I'm Pretty talking like Furtick, Hillsong. Not, oh, like on. that was a direct assault at, at those. I'm people. also much taller than Furtick. So <laughs> but you're nowhere near as buff as he is. Dude, homie is jacked. Yeah, he does roids. That's yeah. fine, but that's where the XL t-shirts really kind of do him a disservice because they, they fit him in the shoulders, but the, they go to his knees. Yeah, yeah. All right, Tom, I feel like your opinion is most important on this, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, first of all, you got to know your audience, right? I mean, if you're in a largely older and more conservative congregation, maybe you need to robe up, right? On the other hand, things are a-changing. People need to understand, like, it's perfectly okay to wear what you want to wear, whether it's sweater and dark jeans, or you want to throw on a sport coat, or if you want to go ripped up, <laughs> ripped up jeans and whatnot. I think though that a majority of people can tell when you're just trying too hard, you know? I yeah, mean, so there's an authenticity factor to it. Yeah. I mean, if they see you all the time, uh, you know, in, in your, personal aesthetic like then that's fine okay but if you're just if you're rocking that knee-length t-shirt and your hat perfectly askew on sunday just on sunday like we see that like grow up so there, so there is a larger issue here kind of at play in this in this conversation and and it's not i mean i think the authenticity piece is is definitely important like if you're like only doing this as sort of like a marketing scheme eventually people will pick up on that but like you do have some of these like some dudes who like it's not just like the s the sort of general aesthetic that sort of fits with the sort of present popular culture um vibe but it's like i mean dudes wearing like sneakers that go for five thousand dollars on the yeah. resale market or guys wearing like designer and luxury items that are like even just retail price is like four figures for for a pair of pants like yeah, yeah. i mean like so, where you know and so like i think there's multiple kind of things kind of coalescing here of like obviously the authenticity piece being one and then like also the like, hey, like, is that appropriate to spend that much money on your wardrobe kind of thing? So one, that shouldn't matter. Like whatever the price point is, it shouldn't matter. If that's what you want to spend your At money all? on, I, I don't all? think I don't think so. Because like, what difference does it make if you put your money in a savings account or if you like to buy, drive a little nicer car or if you golf a lot or if you have more expensive clothes? Or if you have like higher higher end liquor on your on your liquor shelf, like what difference does it make what you spend your money on, right? I think where the the cognitive dissonance is for congregations is like we know how much we pay our pastor, 
how, how come he's driving a brand new car? Well, maybe, maybe his wife makes a lot of money. Maybe he got an inheritance. Like who cares? You know, I, I really struggle with, with living in that fishbowl. Like, I don't care if you saved up all your money to buy those $5,000 sneakers. Well, good on you, man. Like, I think it's yeah. terrible investment, but who cares? But isn't there a critique of like vanity? Like, wouldn't you say like a, a preacher who's so focused on his outward appearance, like is like presenting himself as vain. I could say the same thing about a car about. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, that's, yeah, I think I mean, that's part of it. Yeah. The wine you serve at dinner, but then like, do you have to debase yourself at every, like invite someone over for dinner? I bought the cheapest wine I could possibly find. It's three ninety nine. You but know, I would like say, you have to do that. I would say there is a difference between like, maybe spending in a little bit more extravagance on something to be shared with other people than something that is entirely about your personal image. Yeah. As you're standing before a group of people. Right. Yeah. If, if Marcus is correct that someone could spend four grand or five grand or four figures on a pair of jeans, I mean, you're talking that could be potentially five maybe ten percent of an entire salary for another pastor and well, i think that's where the we're, disconnect we're talking, is we're talking mega mega church pastors here who are making seven figures yeah but think about it a mega church pastor like and this is mind you this is coming from someone who pastors a very small church a mega church pastor is gonna have a mega church staff so really you need to wear like rock like six thousand dollar shoes for having staff meetings on people doing all your business for you well, and I, I, I do think, I mean, part of it is like, what is the, what is the culture that you're cultivating, like within the community that you serve, whether that's a mega church or a church of 50 people, like, are you cultivating this, this culture that says like, yeah, to be a part of this, you, you kind of like have to be wearing something that's kind of like the latest or people are going to kind of like poke fun at like, like how does that in well, any actually, way consistent I, I think it's with... a really good point, Marcus, because actually could we juxtapose um, in New York City a Tim Keller versus a young hip pastor who may be rocking some expensive clothing? Well, I mean, it, he's kind of been canceled, like Tim Keller versus Carl Lentz. Yeah. No, that, no, that's what I'm saying, right? Like, is, is there a way to to really fairly juxtapose like someone who's going to wear your khakis and blazers versus someone who's got, you know, Marcus Lane knee length XL t-shirts and $10,000. Also, you don't have to spend that much <laughs> to like accomplish a particular aesthetic. Like Marcus, Marcus, I'm like, we talked about this already. You're wearing a, a tribe name quest shirt, right? And yes. you're rocking a beanie and things like that. When you go on campus, like, do you think at all about what you're wearing? Um, I mean, I think about what I wear in the morning, but not like from a place of like, I'm going to dress this way because I think What's up, my fellow youths. <laughs> well, right, but like, my, you my youths is, on the University of you, Michigan. Yeah. My point is, if you're going to do all day, all day stuff on campus, you're going to wear that T-shirt and that beanie and, and it'll help you fit in. It'll help you actually. That's not why I wear it. That's well, also yeah, just who I, he is. I, no, I, I get that. I get that. But you're not going to wear because like later on, I have later on, I have a funeral that I need to go to. You're not going to wear that T-shirt, right? 
Well, I would, I would wear, like, if I had, if I had a funeral later in the day, like I would probably either bring a change of clothes or just be like, "Ah, I'm going to say, or I'm going to save myself the time and I'll just wear something that I can do both in. But that, but that's my point. Like you you do put a little bit of thought in terms of like, I'm going to be at a funeral. I should probably put on a sweater or a collared shirt. And I'm not talking the, the clerical collar. I'm talking just, I should maybe do something that's appropriate for the people that are there. And I can rock my t-shirt and ripped up jeans when I'm on campus, you know, like people on campus are not going to respond as well to me wearing a buttoned up shirt and khakis versus ripped up jeans. Like, and so like wearing the appropriate clothing is okay. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, yeah, I think, I think that's a fair point, but like, is there, is there a line where it becomes an issue? Maybe not necessarily of like what aesthetic is appropriate for a pastor, but it becomes an issue of excess. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really hard line to go because you, you see people who are, Oh, they're well put together. They, you know, they color coordinate their clothes and they're always on trend. Like, Mm-hmm. We talk about and my age all the time. I'm 40 years old. I go to work at a corporate 500 company. I like to look good, right? Right. I, right. I, I'm not rocking a $5,000 shark skin suit or anything, but like, I'm on trend for what I what I should well, be and wearing. I, and I do think that's part of the like. I I think one of the things it becomes easy to pick on like the mega church pastor because it's so different than sort of corporate world and what the churches often embody, but like you could hold up the same thing of like the sort of boomer megachurch pastor who maybe like, did you need to spend 5k on a suit? Like that? Yeah. No, like, I mean, was that necessary? You know? Well, and so especially it's like, if it, especially if that's going against what they're, what they're preaching in the pulpit, if they're preaching, you know, give to others and things like that. Um, but then I, again, you know, we keep talking about like really expensive things, but like, is there a difference between the the three hundred dollar suit and like where's the line? Is it five hundred? Is it is it seven hundred? Is it right? Because like, I can tell the difference bit. between a three hundred dollar suit and a thousand dollar suit. There's a big difference, mm-hmm. and I would say a thousand dollar suit is not super egregious, depending on what you're if you're wearing it all the time and you're expected to look good. Like so. Uh, our timer went off, so I'm going to wrap us up. Uh, interesting conversation. Two thoughts to close us out on. Uh, first of all, Marcus did one time receive the finest compliment ever, uh, in which we had a student who uh, worships with us who's from LA. And she once said, uh, I really like coming to ULC because Pastor Marcus looks like all of the pastors in my city, except <laughs> he has Orthodox theology. Uh, so it's was, it was pretty good. Um, Second thing, ever, that's the only compliment I've ever wanted. Yes. <laughs> uh, secondly, friends, if you have any thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, anecdotes that relate to the variety of topics we covered this evening, uh, feel free to shoot us a text at 612-208-6258. And so be, as, as we head out here, Marcus, I, you know, as we usually do with our guests, uh, if you could just really wrap us up in a nice bow and, and, and bring us out from like a theological perspective too, of where we should, our listeners should end up on this. That'd be great. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, I think like, uh, I mean, I do think I'm, I'm grateful uh, that amidst the, the many of many topics that we covered and 
the smorgasbord of perspectives uh, that were shared here. Um, I'm grateful that uh, really kind of the aim and, and the focus is, is how do we best uh, reflect the gospel and the character of Jesus in the places that he has called us to live. Oh, it's spoken like a true pastor, taking a hundred different perspectives and bringing them down into one thing that maybe makes sense. Great job. Did it, buddy. I work with the best, folks. I work with the best. Let our prayer rise before you as incense. I know. Hey, man, that thurible from Lebanon is going to be here soon, and I'm going to be burning some incense. And on that note, this is it for PGP. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Burn incense not once, folks, unless it's legal. (laughs) Then go for it. You couldn't, well, get a, you couldn't get a throwable from the United States way cheaper. What is this? this is no, it's from Rhode Island, but it was made in Lebanon. <laughs> <laughs>